TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. I like it. Here comes a Rick Steves. He likes to get away, right, Rick? I love to get away. It's so great to have you on the show today on WILK to talk about uh, your new book, Travel as a Political Act, How to Leave Your Baggage Behind, and the things you do to empower people to see our big blue marble. So thanks so much for doing the show. Yeah, it's my pleasure to be with you. When was it? When did you realize at first, Rick, that uh, it was possible for you to travel? Were you a young person, and uh, what excited oh, you about seeing other things? I had no interest in traveling as a kid until my dad decided to import pianos from Germany, and he came home one day and he said, "Son, we're going to Germany to see the piano factories." And I thought that's a stupid idea, <laughs> but I got over there and I realized it's a fascinating world. And uh, I, 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 you know, went a couple of times to my parents as a kid and. I vowed to go back every year after that on my own, and I've done that, and uh, I've uh, spent four months a year in Europe uh, since, uh, well, for since the 70s, and uh, now I've, I'm really enjoying writing guidebooks and making TV shows and encouraging Americans to basically get beyond Orlando. Your television show is so visually stunning. Oh, oh my goodness, oh. Rick. It is, I, I bet it's better in person, but it looks great on TV. <laughs> Well, I've got a great crew, and it's um, a beautiful sort of uh, setting. I mean, Europe is my, my beat, and uh, for me, Europe is the waiting pool for world exploration. And I really like to go over there and make the mistakes, take careful notes. When I get ripped off, I celebrate. They don't know who they just ripped off. I'm going to come home and teach my fellow Americans that scam so that when they go over there to Europe, they can travel smarter and enjoy maximum travel thrills for every mile, minute, and dollar in their vacation. And I've been doing that, uh, you know, for a long, long time. Now I've got, uh, you know, a staff of uh, well, about 150 people here in Seattle helping me produce and amplify my teaching. And I've got technology beyond my wildest dreams to, to help me share the lessons I've learned from my travels. And um, I've realized uh, lately that um, it's really, I think, very valuable for Americans to get out of their comfort zone and travel in places where they, they're able to gain an empathy for the other 96% of humanity and come home with what I think is the most beautiful souvenir, and that's a broader perspective. You uh, say fear is for people who don't get out much, and I agree that some people are so intimidated by all kinds of things regarding travel. But as you just mentioned, Rick, now in this uh, age that we live in, there's more technology available. If if something goes wrong, my goodness, you can certainly get on your, your phone and try to figure it out or Google <laughs> it. How has, that, how has that made people less timid about getting out there? Oh, I think, uh, you know, I've been teaching this for, for decades, and uh, the language barrier is much easier now. Uh, anybody who's educated or young or in tourism is very likely to speak English. I speak only English. It's nothing to brag about it, but it's the language that works. Um, of course, we've got instant communication, almost free anywhere now, um, and uh, that was a huge challenge when I started traveling, was just communicating with your loved ones back home. Uh, transportation is so much easier and safer now. I mean, in the old days, it took a train ride, a boat ride, sniffed by dogs, another train ride to get from London to Paris. And now there's uh, it's two and a half hours by train, 17 minutes on the English Channel. Uh, I mean, it's it's just a delight. So, um, I, and you know, a lot of people are 
are wondering about safety and so on. It's in, in any measure, it's safer today than it was 20 or 30 years ago to travel, um, you know, outside of our country. But uh, one thing we have different now is uh, 24-7 commercial news media that tends to make us frightened. So as you mentioned, fear is for people who don't get out very much, and I'm afraid the most frightened people in our society are the ones buried deep in the middle of it with no passports. I know that uh, the flip side of fear is understanding, and we gain understanding through travel. And uh, considering the complicated and important challenges facing our nation today, it's more important than ever that we get out and get to know the rest of the world. And you have in your book that the statistics about uh, terrorism and you know this this kind of probability because you know when we see something happening overseas, Rick, um, in in a place like Paris, um, we we think to ourselves, "Wow, that that scratch that one off." But if we thought yeah. like that, I mean, we'd never set foot in New York <laughs> City again. And I go there all the time, and I don't really think too much about it. So I guess we just have to uh, think more broadly about this, right? Well, we need to think a little more cerebrally and less emotionally about it. I mean, we have to also remember news is, is, these days, news is entertainment masquerading as news. News has to make money. In the old days, news didn't need to make money. It was The networks would contribute the news hour to our democracy without having to make a profit. Well, those days are gone now, and everything's corporate, and everything's got a legal obligation to profit maximize for its stockholders in the short term. So you can't give the news to our country anymore, and you've you got to amp it up and sex it up and bloody it up and crisis it up, and so you get more eyeballs and you can charge more for your ads. And, you know, entertainment's kind of fun, but it shouldn't make us a frightened nation. And uh, I just... Just, I just love the, the thought of getting out there and getting out of, um, you, know, be, you know, walloping your ethnocentricity. I, I just love to hang out with smart people who do things differently than me. And when I come home, I don't need to do it their way, but at least I know that, that reasonable people can differ on this kind of stuff. And, and for me, I've been, you know, I've written 50 guidebooks all over Europe. We take 20,000 people on a 1,000 on a uh, tours through my company in Europe. And once you get over there, you realize... It's safe. There's, I mean, it's, it's just a shame that, that people make a small terrorist bomb a big terrorist bomb by overreacting to it. you really got to keep it in perspective. Um, you know, bad things happen. A thousand people are killed in Nashville every year, I understand, but we still go to Nashville. Um, and uh, if something terrible happens in Europe, uh, it's a free society. There's 400 million people there. Uh, you know, you, you, you take the risk, you go have a good time, and you realize, you know, when, when somebody tells me you have a safe trip, I'm more inclined to say, well, you have a safe stay at home, because where I'm going is statistically, and I know statistics are optional these days, but where I'm going is safer than where you're staying. I'm, I'm heading off to Europe every year for four months, and uh, I, I just love it over there. Let's talk about the uh, impression that people in, in some foreign lands have of of Americans these days. Uh, what's what's true and what's false? I mean, how are people perceiving us? Oh, you know, if if Europeans voted uh, uh, for our president, we'd always have a democratic president. I mean, Europe's, Europeans are just more liberal and more concerned with concerned with how the government can can contribute to the fabric of their democracies and so on. And a lot of Americans just really believe in this um, small government and, and and that sort of ideal. And you know, it's not a simple answer. It's no right or wrong. But Europeans um, kind of roll their eyes at at our president right now. But I'll tell you, there's no downside to traveling now because of what's going on in our country politically. The ideals of America, you know, pluralism, uh, uh, democracy, uh, hard work, you know, capitalism, these, uh, these uh, uh, kind of I- ideals of what America's all about, they're, they're shining examples on, on, the, on the hill for, for any, any uh, Western-looking democratic society, certainly in Europe. 
Um, and it's just fun for us to get over there. And I think the great thing about travel is, and I talk about that in my book, Travel as a Political Act, when we travel, we humanize the world. We gain an empathy for people south of our border or far away. It makes it tougher for them, for their government, to demonize us with their propaganda when they know who we are. And it also, when we go home, it makes it tougher for our government to demonize or dehumanize them with our propaganda. And um, it's just, you know, what, what really distinguishes a good trip is how many people you meet. If I'm working on a TV script or leading a tour or writing a guidebook, the, the mark of what kind of a job I'm doing, I think, is how can I connect my travelers with real people in another country? Because that's really what, what distinguishes and, and makes sure it carbonates the whole experience. Very good. Now let's talk about uh, if, if we do want to travel in the upcoming months, where our money goes really, really far, do you see? Because a lot of the people who live here, Rick, are a little bit on the tight side. So could you talk about sure. maybe some places where you could get a really great bang for your buck right about now? Well, you know, I don't, I don't spend a lot of time thinking, where's my dollar going to go the farthest? I spend a lot of time thinking about where are my travel dreams taking me and how can I travel smartly in that place? If you've always wanted to visit relatives in Norway and somebody still tells you that Portugal is a lot cheaper, well, of course Portugal is cheaper, but you want to go to Norway to see your relatives. Um, I would say if you're thinking about how can you stretch your dollar, you're going to pay $10 to go into that museum one way or another. If you know a little bit about what you're going to see, you'll enjoy it twice as much. Uh, you know, I've spent my lifetime teaching people how to stretch their dollars overseas, and you can find alternatives to hotels and restaurants and eat and sleep perfectly well in the most expensive countries anywhere, and you can travel cheaper in those countries than you could in a, quote, cheap country. Having said that, you know, there's to the south and to the east, things are cheaper. If you go to Greece or you go to Portugal or you go to Spain, it's going to be a lot cheaper than uh, Britain or Scandinavia. Uh, but, you know, there's so many things now that enable us to travel really efficiently. There's discount airlines. Uh, in the old days, nobody would fly point to point in Europe. And now, you know, a, a flight is cheaper than a, in a bus or a train ride uh, if you know how to get a good flight. Uh, Airbnb makes uh, sleeping in bed and breakfasts uh, uh, really competitive compared to hotels. And uh, I just and there's efficiencies like we don't need to change money when we cross borders these days because nearly everybody has the same euro coins jangling in their pockets. So there's a lot of efficiencies. Um, I like to travel. I like to fly open jaws. I think it's been 10 years since I flew in and out of the same city. Uh, you know, fly into one city and out of another city. Then you don't have to spend the time and the money to return to your starting point. Uh, the, there's you know you have to decide are you going to take a train or are you going to drive. And those are important issues. If there's a group of you, it's much cheaper by car. If you're one or two, it's probably cheaper by train. If you're going from big city to big city to big city, a car is a worthless headache. You don't want a car. You want to take the train. If you're tooling around the countryside, that's where you want a car because public transportation would be more frustrating. If you are one of these people that has to pack heavy, I'm always preaching packing light. If you're not going to pack light, well, you should rent a car. You know, you could even rent a trailer. Uh, but if you're going to pack... Uh, uh, light, then uh, the train makes a lot of sense. So there's all these variables, and those are things that I, I talk about in, in my guidebooks, and, and those are the lessons you learn from your experience. And, and what I love to do is spend, I spend 120 days a year in Europe. I've done that for 30 years, and I'm just taking notes, making mistakes, hitting and missing, designing all the hits, bringing them home so people can have a better batting average in their travels. And you certainly go to some places, Rick, that uh, some people may say, I don't think I should go there. But uh, what are some countries that you've been to that people think are inherently very, very dangerous and you found them to be uh, quite the pleasure? 
Well, Sue, first of all, I want to say I would never advocate going to a dangerous place. Um, I've wanted to go with my, I've scouted a TV show for Egypt. I've wanted to go there for several years now, but I don't think it's uh, comfortable for American travelers uh, in Egypt right now as, as much as I'd like it to be, so I'm going to wait on that. But I've been in Iran, I've been in Palestine, I've been in Turkey and Morocco and Russia, and these are, and Cuba, uh, these are exciting destinations. Um, and uh, they're totally open for travel. And the Lonely Planet guidebooks to the, I don't write to these guidebooks to these countries, but I use Lonely Planet. And uh, those guidebooks sell quite well. Uh, and Americans think you can't go to Iran or you can't go to Cuba. Well, Americans have that problem, but everybody else goes there and, and loves it. Cuba is the number one Caribbean destination for Germans and Canadians. Uh, once you get there, then you realize, oh, my goodness, uh, here's an alternative viewpoint. And I just love to get both narratives. Uh, we did a TV show on the Holy Land, and I'm adamant about anybody who goes to the Holy Land should spend time in Israel and then in Palestine, in the West Bank. And you get to hear, um, you know, perspectives from both sides of that wall. Uh, is it dangerous? No. Is it poor and hard scrabble and lots of broken things and a little bit of chaos in the streets in Palestine? Yes. It's like going from San Diego to Tijuana. It's, uh, you know, people make ten times as much money on one side of the wall between America and Mexico, and they make ten times as much money on one side of the wall between Israel and Palestine. So you're going to find nicer roads and, and people that spend more money um, on, on, you know, soap uh, on one side of the wall, but you've got beautiful, hardworking people on the other side of the wall that you can meet also. You also uh, take on something that I, I guess most uh, travel aficionados uh, don't, and that's drug policy, which I think is very interesting. And I want you to talk a, a little bit of, about that as well. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm an advocate of uh, stop taking the crime out of the drug policy equation. I was one of the sponsors and spokespeople and, and uh, um, you know, uh, on the team in Washington State when six years ago we legalized tax and regulated marijuana. Uh, Washington State and Colorado were the first states to do that. Every two years I go on the road and spend a lot of money and spend a lot of my time in different states trying to help those states understand the tragedy of our uh, war on marijuana and the wisdom of, of, uh, of uh, legalizing, taxing, and regulating it. I'm certainly not pro-marijuana. I'm just pro-smart uh, drug policy and, and pro-civil liberties and kind of into pragmatic harm reductions rather than moralizing and incarceration. I, my, my perspective is shaped by my time in Europe, where a joint's about as exciting as a can of beer. And my friends in Europe have uh, explained to me there's, not, there's just no correlation between how strict the laws are and how much consumption you have. I mean, there's not a, a reservoir of decent people that would love to ruin their lives smoking pot if only it was legal. And that was my hunch. And in, in Washington State, six years ago, we regulate, we, uh, we legalized marijuana. And when we did, the marijuana um, industry in our state was huge. It was rivaling apples, and that's a, a big deal in Washington State. And our hunch was when we legalized, we would not see an increase in use of marijuana. We would just turn it into a highly regulated and highly taxed industry, taking all that money that was empowering gangs and organized crime away from that black market and turning it into a good market. And that's exactly what we've done. Four years later, the, the track record is in. Washington has legalized marijuana. We have um, taken the black market uh, down. Um, we have seen statistically that use has not gone up among adults. Use has not gone up among teens. DUIs have not gone up. Crime has not gone up. What has gone up is tax revenue. We've taken that uh, black market industry, turned it into a legal one, and this year my governor arrested, ten, last year my government arrested uh, 10,000 fewer people 
and we got $300 million in tax revenue in Washington state alone, not because more people are smoking pot, but because that money is no longer going into the black market. So this is, um, this is just a smart um, policy thing that we're doing, and, and I'll be going uh, to several states on the East Coast uh, in the next week uh, advocating uh, in state houses to um, take the crime out of the equation and get smart about marijuana policy. But again, that's something you learn in your travels, because I go to Europe, and the countries with the biggest opioid problem in the last decades have been Portugal and the Netherlands, and they've tackled their opioid problem in part by essentially legalizing marijuana and getting credibility for their law enforcement and focusing on hard drug abuse. In those languages, the word for addicted is enslaved. People who are addicted to hard drugs are not criminals. They're sick people. They don't need handcuffs and cops and judges and lawyers. They need compassion. They need counseling. And they need nurses. And that's a, a smart European approach to this persistent problem that I think we can learn from. And I'm proud to be a spokesperson in that regard. Will you be coming to Pennsylvania, Rick, or not? Um, I'm going to Maryland and New Jersey and uh, Washington, D.C. and, and uh, Vermont. Uh, on this trip, I, I was in Massachusetts and Maine on the last election. We've run out of basically all the initiative states have legalized marijuana now. It's, um, you know, the, on a hot issue like that where politicians don't want to risk their reputation, they don't want to be, quote, soft on drugs. Uh, that's what the initiative process is for. So California, Washington, Massachusetts, Maine, and so on, they're all initiative states. Now we're into states where you have to go through the legislative branch. So, and now it's not such a dicey issue because people are realizing that the, uh, it's a racist, uh, non-productive, uh, dishonest law, this prohibition against marijuana. And one by one, states are recognizing that. And, and my commitment in this regard, just as a caring citizen, is to every two years go on the road and, and help um, through organizations that are working to end the prohibition against marijuana. And I don't here in uh, Pennsylvania, I don't think Pennsylvania is considered one of the states that are ready to go yet. It's, but, it's, uh, it's getting closer, though. we got to let you go because I looked at the clock, and we have to keep you on your schedule, and that's important. Oh, that's but, great. Hey, nice talking hey, to you, and I hope we can talk fabulous. again. Yeah, thanks, Rick Steves. We appreciate it. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.